Hello, this sermon audio is a ministry of the Town Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you would like to learn more about us, how to connect, or how to support us, go to our website, thetownchurch.org. While listening to the Bible preached is a healthy part of our spiritual formation, it is not the whole picture. So if you aren't a part of a local church, we encourage you to prayerfully commit to a local body of believers where you live. We're glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of his glory to you. Acts three eleven through 26. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us, as though by your own power or piety that have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One, and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and by his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance and did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets that this Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to the prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken, from Samuel to those who came after him, also proclaim these days, You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. This is God's word. Hey, good morning. My name is Vince. I'm one of the elders here. We are uh, in the book of Acts, as you uh, probably have guessed, and we've been there uh, for a few weeks. And here's what we've been talking about, we've seen over the last several weeks, is that the book of Acts is about the triune God. It's about the Trinity. It's about God the Father. It's about God the Son. It's about God the Holy Spirit. That God is over all things. That Jesus came to save. And, And he came to save through the powerful work of his life, death, resurrection and ascension and how the Holy Spirit is also involved in powering followers of Jesus. All of that happening, all of that happening through the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for the flourishing of the church. So all of that is going on. People are being saved. Thousands of people are being saved and people are not just being saved positionally. They're they're not just being saved positionally, but they are being changed. 
There, there are people being changed, being saved and being changed by the work of the Spirit in them and, and on them. They, they are being changed. They're becoming more like Jesus. They are living differently. They're, they're regularly gathering together to worship God. They're gathering to pray. They're gathering to have meals together. They're selling their things so that they can have money, not for themselves, but so that they can help those in need. God is sovereign. Jesus has been exalted to his right hand and the spirit has been left to empower and people are changing. That, that's happening. That's what, we've, that's what we've seen. All of that's happening and we've got to see that, that that's God's work. Uh, they're changing people. People are being changed. But here's what I think we often see as we read through the book of Acts, as we read through especially these first chapters in the book of Acts, if you've read through them or heard the stories before, I think we see um, very clearly that God is at work, and we see that very clearly because of how many people are being changed, and, and we understand that it's the supernatural work of God to save souls through the atoning work of His Son. We get that. We, we absolutely get that. But then we often lean, I think, on the amazing events that are going on in the book. Right? We lean on those because those are exciting and those are, are in some ways extraordinary. And those extraordinary things going on in the book become then the focus of the book. I think that's, that's how we often lean. Where, where those become the focus of the book. And often what happens then for us in our lives today as we begin to look for those and expect those extraordinary things to be happening in our own lives to mark our lives and if we don't see them we get worried we get worried that that something may be wrong with us the the christian life then becomes about what we can do the Christian life then becomes about what we can accomplish and who we can be and, and, and how we should change and how others should be changing. And we get all wrapped up in the extraordinary things that we see in the book of Acts. Now, don't get me wrong. Those are good. Those are, those are right. Those are, those are things that are fine and great. And we should want to see change. We, we should want to be having a desire to carry out the mission that God's called us to be on. We should want to see change. But we cannot forget the why. We cannot forget what's behind it, or should we say, we cannot forget who's behind it. We can't forget that. And so, listen very carefully. This is who it is. It's Jesus. It's Jesus that's behind all of that. God the Father has a plan to redeem people through Jesus. Everything in the past was pointing forward to Jesus. God, the Spirit, has a plan to continue to point all things to Jesus. Life in the past was about Jesus. Life right now, for you and me, whether you recognize it or not, that doesn't matter. It is about Jesus. Think about this. Think about this for a second. If you believe that, that life is about something other than Jesus, the question then has to be for you, to what end? If life is about something other than Jesus, the question has to be, to, to what end? Some may think, well, my life is all about my job. Right? I get up in the morning, I eat, sleep, drink, and think about my job. Fine. To, to what end? What's the end of that? Right? Let's carry that. You work until you get too old to work anymore, and so you have to stop working. Really, and, and now your life is all about work, which you're not doing. And so then what is life about? And you, you could carry that into a lot of different directions, right? My, my life is all about my hobbies. 
that I'm pouring my life in my, I'm not, I'm not concerned about work. I'm going to pour my life into hobbies. That, that, that's what I'm, to what end, right? If you, if you collect stamps, listen, USPS is on its way out, right? <laughs> maybe, maybe for you, your, your life's about your family. Uh, to what end? Their happiness? That's good, right? But to what end? Their success? To your, your relationships with them? To, to what end? Listen, friends, everything before Jesus' life on earth was pointing forward to Jesus. Everything after Jesus' life on earth is still pointing to Jesus. Without him, there is no life. It doesn't exist. You, you've got to under, I've got to understand that. We need to understand this. And so as we continue to move through the book of Acts, we see that the church flourishing. We've got to keep in mind, we've got to understand that this life is not about us. This life is not about the church. This life is not about the ways even that we've been changed outwardly. This life is not uh, about anything other than the fame of Jesus. And so we've got to keep that in mind, even as we work through the passage this morning, another sermon of Peter's, another speech of Peter. Sure, the people have been changed. We need to see that. These people have been changed, but it's about Jesus. And if life is about Jesus, here's what we see. We've, he demands a response. He demand, if life is about Jesus, and it is, then he demands a response from us. That, that's all Peter's getting at here. That, that's all he's getting at. If life is about Jesus, then he demands a response. So what is that? And, and do you remember what we saw last week? Let me catch us up. We're told that at the end of chapter 2 that many, many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. The Holy Spirit had come upon the apostles, empowered them to do the, the same kinds of things that, that Jesus was doing in, during his earthly ministry, healing, casting out demons, powerful teaching. And then we get to chapter Three, and we see Peter and John going to the temple to pray, a daily activity. They were going to the temple to pray, and a man who was lame approaches them and asks them for money. And do you remember what happens? Uh, Peter and John see this man's want. They see his desire. They see his want, but they also see his ultimate need. They see his ultimate need, not for healing, not for money. That's not his ultimate need. That's what he wants. That's not his ultimate need. His ultimate need is Jesus. They, they see that, and so they say to him in chapter 3, verse 6, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And guess what? The, the man is healed. He jumps up. He walks, and he goes into the temple praising God. Some might even say that he went walking and leaping and praising God. He went walking, and they would repeat it then in song, right? And, he, and motions. They would say that, right? So for those of you who have been in the church, you get that, right? Sergey didn't mention that last week, but he's from Russia, so, <clears throat> right? This man is forever changed. That's what we see. He's forever changed. His social status is changed. His physical status is changed. His, 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 it seems as if his emotional status is changed, Right? You leap when your emotional status is changed. You don't leap out of uh, other reasons other than excitement, right? Or a mouse, right? You, you leap out of, out of great joy. So he's changed. But greater than any of those things is that his life is forever. And I mean forever, literally forever, eternally changed. He, he's changed by Jesus. And then we get to verse 11 from this week. And we see that the man was indebted to Peter and John. 
He, he clings to them, we're told. He, he clings to them. He, he, and, and we're told that he stayed with them. He didn't leave their side. God had worked powerfully through Peter and John. The Spirit had empowered this man to heal, uh, uh, empowered Peter and John to heal this man, and he clung to them. Of course, a, a word got out about what had happened, right? I mean, they, they've seen this man forever. Word has gotten out. We're told that the people run together to Solomon's porch, a, a place that has probably been set aside. Uh, it's an outdoor sort of patio, kind of like Old Town Square, around the temple, where they gather together. And probably the early Christians have gathered together to, to worship. And so they're there, and, and people hear this, and they come to this area to, to see what had happened. We're told that many ran to them, gathered around, and they were astounded. Peter sees the group who has gathered around them amazed at what had happened, and he speaks up. He speaks up not to hype himself. He speaks up not to point the attention toward himself, not to point the attention toward John, but Peter speaks up in another public speech, in another sermon, and he points all of the attention to Jesus. Jesus is God's servant. Jesus is the holy and righteous one. Jesus is the author of life. Jesus is the one who's healing. Jesus is the one who atones for sins. This is all about Jesus. And so he says in verse 12, why do you look at us? Why are you amazed at this? It's not as if we made this man walk. We aren't aren't powerful enough to do this. We're not the ones who, who, has, who have done this. So if it wasn't Peter and John, then, then who was it? We're told in verse 13. Look at verse 13 with me. It says, The God of our fathers glorified... The God of our... our I'm sorry. The God of Abraham and, and the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant, Jesus that glorified his servant Jesus. This miracle has happened through the power of God, the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this covenant-keeping God that the people know about, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this covenant-keeping God who has powerfully worked to heal this man through the servant Jesus. Now, how is Jesus God's servant? Jesus is God's servant in that God had acted miraculously through his servant, Jesus. And the idea is that the, the servant, uh, Jesus is God's servant, would, would then automatically in the minds of the people trigger something. To hear that, God, that Jesus is God's servant would, would trigger in their minds uh, the, the prophecy of Isaiah. They were expecting a servant to come. They were expecting a suffering servant to come. And so we get to Isaiah chapter 52, and and we're told, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up. He shall be exalted. And, And then for an entire chapter, chapter 53 of Isaiah, we're told how the servant would suffer. The servant of God would suffer. He would be marred beyond recognition. He would be despised. He would be rejected. He would be well acquainted with grief, his own grief. And at the same time, he would carry our griefs. He would carry our sorrows. He would be pierced for our transgressions. He would be crushed for our iniquities. He would be oppressed. He would be afflicted. He would be crushed. He would be all in that, yet silent. Carrying out the plan of God. 
And so here's what Peter's doing. He's tying together all the loose ends. Yes, this lame man was healed not by their own strength or powers. No, this is the powerful work of God through his son who is the suffering servant. These men of Jerusalem, these people who have, who have gathered are waiting for the fulfillment of God's promise that a Messiah would come, that a suffering servant would come. They're, they're waiting for what was told in Isaiah to, to be there, to be this exalted, glorified, suffering servant. They're waiting for that. But what did they do? They chose to deny that that servant, that that servant, that Messiah was Jesus. That they chose to deny that that servant was Jesus. Peter's saying, you delivered over over Jesus to Pilate. You handed him over. You, You denied that Jesus was this Messiah. You handed over God's servant Jesus. Pilate offered to release him, but no, you denied him. Pilate offered to release him. You denied him. Now, think about this for a second. Let's pull, pull aside for a second. Who, who, is, who, who is speaking? Who, who, who's, who's giving this sermon? Peter, right? If anyone is qualified to talk about denying Jesus, it's Peter. And so we're told in Luke's gospel account, as well as other gospel accounts, that Peter denied that he knew Jesus on three separate accounts just hours before he was to be crucified for him. Told that, that, that he, would, he would deny Jesus. And so if anyone is qualified to call out a people who have denied Jesus, it's Peter. And so he says, you denied God's servant. You did that. You denied God's servant, Jesus. This is not about us. This is about Jesus. And if we continue into verse 14, we see even more weight on the fact that this life is about Jesus and that Jesus is the holy and righteous one. Yes, he's God's servant, but he's Jesus. He is the holy and righteous one. And so Peter says again, you denied the holy and righteous one. These two terms, holy and righteous, are reserved for God alone. If you look throughout the Old Testament, those words are used of God. The holy and righteous one. There is no one like him. And so what's Peter saying? Catch this. What's he saying? You denied God. You denied God by denying the holy and righteous Messiah that he sent as the suffering servant. And not only that, you denied, you disowned the set-aside Messiah. And instead, you asked for a murderer to be released. In essence, here's what you said. You take the holy and righteous one. That's fine. We'll take the murderer. Peter is making very clear to the people listening that this is about Jesus, their acceptance of or rejection of Jesus. They denied him. They disowned him. They traded in the holy and righteous one for a murderer. They they traded him in. And when we set anything, when we set anything in the place of Jesus, we're doing the same thing, aren't we? Right? You put your, your job in place of Jesus. What are you doing? You're, you're trading in Jesus. You put your, your, your financial status, your, your family, whatever that is. We, we've traded in the holy and righteous one for that? Peter continues in verse 15. Not only did you trade in Jesus for a murderer, you joined in the actions of murder yourselves. You, you joined in with that. You killed Who? Who'd you kill? Who, who? You killed the author of life. Right? Jesus is God's servant. Jesus is the holy and righteous one. Jesus is the author of life. The best description of, of what it means to be the author of life is found in Colossians chapter 1. You've probably heard these or seen these verses before, but, but here's what, what Paul says speaking of Jesus. He is 
the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. That's Jesus. That's Jesus, the author of life, the first, the creator, through him and for him. He is before all things. He's preeminent. He's first place. Peter says to those gathered around him, yeah, you killed him. That's the one you killed. But guess what? God had a plan for Jesus not to be dead. Right? So, so you didn't get, get God off guard there. God had a plan for Jesus to not be dead. God had a plan for his king to be eternal. God had a plan for the one who is the author of life to actually be alive. God had a plan for all of that to happen. So guess what? Even though you denied Jesus, even though you traded him in for a murderer, even though you killed him, God had a different plan, and that plan was to raise him from the dead. Death could not hold him. What you thought was the end could not hold Jesus. The author of life cannot be dead. And so Peter continues then to talk about Jesus. Remember, this is all about Jesus. This is all about Jesus. Jesus is God's servant. Jesus is the holy and righteous one. Jesus is the author of life. And now, finally, back to the point that the crowd has gathered around to try to make with Peter and John. Jesus is the healer. Not Peter and John. Jesus is the healer. Peter has not healed him. John has not healed him. The only reason that this man has been healed is because of his faith in the name of Jesus. To have faith in the name of someone is to say that, that they have faith in the very existence of, the, the very reality of Jesus. This man has been healed because of faith in Jesus. Now, where did that faith originate? Where did, he has faith in the name of Jesus. Where did that faith originate? Did, did the man just one day decide, you know what? I, I, I need to have faith in something other than this stuff, other than this begging and other, other than this asking for alms. This stuff is not working, right? I've tried a lot of stuff in my day. I've tried begging for money. I tried a paleo diet once. I tried a lot of stuff, right? Tried yoga, the yoga I could do being lame. I even tried, somebody said, get out on a paddleboard and do some yoga. I tried it. I tried all of this stuff, but none of those things are really going to cut it. So I guess it's time for me to just muster up some faith in Jesus. Is that what happens? Where did this faith originate? What, what does the last part of verse 16 tell us? The faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health. The faith that is through Jesus. The faith that is caused by and given to the man through Jesus. The, the, the only place he could turn in faith was to the one who had given him faith. That's the only place he could turn in faith, was the, to the one who had given him faith, Jesus. Jesus is the healer through faith in his name. Right? And so, so as Peter made this point securely enough, that this is all about Jesus. Has Peter made this point that this is all about Jesus. The people come to Peter and to John amazed at what they've done. And Peter says very clearly, this is not about me. 
This is not about me. It's, about, it's not about John. It's not even about how this man has been healed. It's not about any of that. This is all about Jesus. And so here's what I think we have got to see from this. Hold, hold on here. Everything is about Jesus. Jesus is God's servant. He came to suffer in your place. Jesus is the holy and righteous one. There is no one like him. He is God. He's not waiting on you to believe that he is. Jesus is the author of life. Everything begins with Jesus and points to Jesus. Jesus is the healer. Not, not only does he heal physically, but he, he heals spiritually through, through faith. Faith that he, that he gives. This is all about Jesus. Life is all about Jesus. It simply is. And I think the question for us that we've got to be asking, I think everyone in this room needs to be asking today is is this. Is my life all about Jesus? I know that sounds simple. I know that, that, that may sound cliche, but don't, don't allow this to slide in as cliche. Is your life all about Jesus? Don't allow that to go in one ear and out the other thinking, yeah, hopefully so-and-so hears that. Is this life, your life, all about Jesus? All things were created. All, all things were created by him and for him. That's a truth. That's a fact. And you and I need to consider, I think, how this affects then all of life. How is Jesus honored in your decisions? How is Jesus made more famous in the decisions that you need to be making today? How is the mission to which Jesus has called you about most about Jesus? How is your commitment to the community of believers around you, even this morning, about Jesus? How is your work, your family, your leisure, most about Jesus? How is all of your life most about Jesus? Because everything is about Jesus. We've got to see that as true. And and so here's some questions. What are you facing today? You you woke up this morning, extra hour of sleep. You woke up this morning, and, and what are you facing? Joys, struggles? Hardships, great things. What, what are you facing this week, this month? How is that thing most about Jesus? Listen, he gave his life for us. He, he gave his life as an atonement for our sin so that we could be in relationship with God the Father. In God's perfect plan, he gave his life so that we could be reconciled to right relationship with God the Father. We've got to see that as the overarching theme of the verses we've even looked at this morning, that that Jesus is our atonement. He he is the suffering servant who was brutally killed and crucified for our sin. That's Jesus. Again, back to Isaiah 52 and 53. He took on our sin. He carried the weight of our sin. He was crushed. He was pierced for our sin. By his wounds, we are healed. We've all, yes, all of us have gone astray. We've all sinned. Isaiah 53, 6 tells us that God has placed on Jesus all of our sin. 
Jesus is God's servant, the one who suffered in our place. Jesus is the holy and righteous one who knew no sin. He never sinned. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, God placed on Jesus, the holy, perfect, sinless Jesus. God placed on Jesus our sin so that we would become the righteous ones. He stood in our place, took on our sin, took on our death so that we could have life. Christ suffered, we're told in verse 18 of chapter 3 of Acts, that this is a fulfillment of prophecy. Christ suffered and took on our sin as a fulfillment of prophecy. Yeah, a prophecy fulfilled from Isaiah. Christ suffered for us. He, his life was given in exchange for the murderer. And so put yourself there. What's the sin that you could put there? He gave his life in exchange for the murderer. So, so what is that for you? For, for the liar. For the, the one who's selfish. For the one who is an adulterer. For the one who's arrogant here or there. For, for the one who is a thief. For the one who is a gossip. For, for the fill in the blank with whatever that is for you. His life was given in exchange for yours. That's not an insignificant thing. It's not. It's not something that we've just got to breeze by. Jesus is the author of life. He deserves life. He made it. He sustains it. Yet he gave it so that you could have it. Did you hear that? That that Jesus is the author of life. He gave it so that you could have it. Jesus is God's servant for us. Jesus is the holy and righteous one for us. Jesus is the author of life for us. Jesus is our atonement. He gave his life so that we could live. This is what Peter is communicating to those who are listening in. This is not about anything other than Jesus. Have I said the name Jesus enough? Yeah, no. And the entire conversation, the entire conversation, the entire speech from Peter is absolutely then begging for a response, isn't it? It's absolutely begging for a response. You and I have got to respond to this. These people around Peter have got to respond. In the passage, we see two responses. At least two responses. Even in Peter's words about the man who was healed, there's an implicit call to respond, isn't there? He, he says, he says that, that faith in Jesus made this man well. So, what are you going to do? I mean, that, that's the implicit call, right? Faith in Jesus made this man well. The man responded in faith. Faith that had its foundation in Jesus alone. And we know that, that because the, the, the man didn't jump up, right? You, we see this. The man didn't jump up and go off on his own way doing something else, right? Like, I always wanted as a kid to play basketball. So, I'm going to... No, he jumped up and ran to the temple praising God. The man responded in faith, and Peter's retelling of that faith, there's, a, there's an implicit call to respond in faith. And so here's where we have to go this morning. Do you believe, do you have faith in, do you believe that you need a Savior? That's for everybody. Do you believe that you need a Savior and that Savior is not yourself? Do you believe, do you have faith in Jesus, a faith that he is who he says he is, faith in his atoning work on the cross for you? And I would say, if not, 
Are you pleading with God that he would grant it? Are, are you pleading, God, I, I don't have that kind of faith, but, but would you please grant that I would have that kind of faith? There are certainly some in this room this morning right now who do not have faith in Jesus alone. And, and I would say this, there, there are certainly some in, the, in this room right now who are wrestling with doubt. Wrestling with doubt. Oh yeah, I, I, I thought I believed in Jesus, but man, I'm having some doubts about where, where I land in all of this. All of us are, are sitting in this room wondering through these things, struggling through these things, believing where we can, but hoping for more belief. And so my question is, are we pleading with God for faith in Christ alone? Are we pleading? This life is all about Jesus. Do you believe that? We, we've got to respond in faith. In faith. And the second response I think we see is in verse 19. It's very straightforward. Peter says, repent. He just says, repent. And now, now think about it. The, the people who have gathered around Peter have gathered around him to get an answer about the healing of this man. Right? That's why they came. They didn't, they didn't come to get preached at. They came because they wanted to know what was going on. They wanted some answers about how this is all working out. And Peter said, no, 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 no. You don't need answers. You need to repent. So listen, many of us maybe come to, to a gathering like this on, on a Sunday morning to get some answers about your life, right? Maybe you come here on a Sunday morning, you, you, you gather around with other people who call themselves Christians to try to get some answers about life. It's good and right. It's a good place to come and get the truth, hopefully, about life. But, but here's what you've got to hear. Jesus is calling for a response not just for you to figure out some answers. He's calling for a response, and part of that response is repentance. Turn from your sin, and in turning from your sin, you're turning to God. He is the one who has a plan to redeem a people to himself through his son, Jesus. Faith and repentance, those are the responses. Faith in the fact that Jesus is Savior. Faith in the truth that Jesus alone is your righteousness. Faith in the truth that nothing else will save you. Not your works, not, not the, the things that, that you have to offer. Not, not the, the good life that you have lived. Not, not your good thoughts about good things. Right? If I just think hard enough and, and good thoughts and good things will come. No, no, no. Faith in Jesus alone saves, changes, transforms, moves you into turning from your sin. And so your response and my response this morning is faith and repentance. Faith and repentance. So let me ask the question. If Jesus changes me, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm hearing you correctly, Vince, if Jesus changes me, if I turn from my sin, if I trust in Jesus then, will my life be easy? Right, then, I, then I'm off, right? Then my, my life, everything will then be puppies and unicorns for me, right? That's how I can move forward. What's the answer to that question, friends? Oh, sorry. Jesus never promises an easy life. He never promises a life without suffering or hardship. In fact, in many places in the New Testament, Jesus reminds us that there are going to be great costs in following him. He, he, he says that you will face trials, you'll face conflict, you'll, you'll lose friends, family members, will, you'll have conflict, you'll turn, family members will turn a, against you. Jesus does not promise an easy life, but faith and, and repentance do lead to some blessings. They do lead to some blessings, and that's Peter's point at the end of his sermon. 
He says, yeah, 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 it's not an easy life, but there are some blessings. In the final verses of chapter 3, Peter gives, gives us three blessings that come from the responses of faith and repentance. And so I want us to see these really quickly. First, we, we've already talked about it some, but look at the end of verse 19. Respond in faith and repentance. Why? So that your sins may be blotted out. That's a blessing of God only found in, in Jesus. Can we all agree on that? That your sins may be blotted out. Our sins will be wiped clean. That your, your offense against the holy God will be blotted out, not seen, gone. Not, not just gone, vanished. Right? Once they were here, now, now they're not. No, 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 no. Wiped clean because of the sacrifice of Jesus. They're not just gone. They had to be applied somewhere. And, and they were applied to Jesus. Wiped clean because of Jesus. That's a blessing That's a blessing. If we're not daily thinking about that blessing, I think we've lost sight of God's grace, of his mercy, of his kindness, of his patience, of his love. We've lost sight of the gospel. We've lost sight of what you once were and what you now are. You've lost sight of that if you're not daily thinking about the blessing of that. The second blessing is found in verse 20. He says, if you have faith and if you repent, if your sins are blotted out, you will experience what? Times of refreshing. Now that sounds nice, doesn't it? Right? An island, Hawaii, right? Just times of refreshing. Is that what he's getting at here? If your sins are blotted out, you'll experience times of refreshing. How? Look, they come from the presence of Jesus. <laughs> times of refreshing refer to a spiritual refreshment in the presence of Jesus, knowing that Jesus is Messiah. The, the wording that, that's used for refreshment is this idea of great relief. The, the only other time it's used in, in the Old Testament, the, the, the language in the Old Testament of Exodus 8, is to refer to the relief that was brought about from the plague of frogs when that had been lifted. That, that, that's a great relief, right? That those frogs are gone. There are times of refreshing. And so the idea that Peter is getting at here is this, that when God leads us to the response of faith and repentance, there's relief in the burden of sin being lifted. Lifted, blotted out by Jesus. We've experienced that, haven't we? Experience the refreshment of the burden of sin being removed. There's relief in the battle of sin being lifted. And that blessing is from God, which comes from faith and repentance. And then the third blessing we see is found just after that in verse 21. As we respond to Jesus in faith and repentance, we receive the blessing from God of Jesus returning to restore all things. That's a blessing. We get to experience that. We get to receive that blessing of experiencing Jesus returning to restore all things. That's a blessing that we receive if we respond in faith and repentance. That's a a blessing. Peter talks about what will happen if we don't respond in that way. Remember, he's speaking to Jews. He's speaking to a group of people who have gathered around him to find out answers about why this man has been healed. He tells them to repent, and then he tells them the blessings that will come if that happens. And he's speaking to a group of people, and he's saying, if you don't respond, this is where it's going. He, he, He tells these Jews who have gathered around him, listen, God has sent prophets to reveal these truths to you. You should listen to them. If you haven't listened to Moses, if you haven't listened to Samuel, if you haven't listened to the other prophets who have come after them, you won't experience the blessing of Jesus restoring all things. Instead, you'll experience destruction. 
Verse 25, Peter reminds that the, the here that the, that day that they are a part of God's people, originally called a, a part of his family through Abraham. They will be blessed by God, but not if they reject what is true about God. And so here, I think, is the warning for us as well. You cannot call yourself a follower of Jesus if you do not accept what is true about Jesus. You, you cannot call yourself a follower of Jesus if you do not accept the truth of God. You cannot be a recipient of the blessing of eternal life, sins blotted out, times of refreshing experience, all things being made new. You cannot be a recipient of those blessings just because of, 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 of your family. Yeah, my family, they, they were believers. You cannot receive those blessings if, if you, you, you just think these things are, are neat. Or you cannot, you cannot experience those blessings if, if you think, well, I'm just going to have an open mind about all kinds of religions. That, that doesn't go that way. Peter is very clear, and we've got to be very clear this morning. If you do not believe the truth about God, the truth that you need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus, if you don't believe that He's called you to turn from your sin, your end is actually not blessing, but destruction. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm just trying to speak what the truth of the, of the Word is saying. Your end is not blessing. It's destruction. The very last verse of chapter 3, Peter leans on the resurrection of Jesus. Praise God. He says, God raised up his servant. There's that word again. You killed the author of life, but God raised him up. He wouldn't have that. He, he sent him to the Jews first. Why? To bless them by, by turning them from their wickedness. Do you catch that? God the Father raised his son from the dead. Jesus has power over sin and death. He defeated it. He won. We already sang about it. He won. And what is the blessing of the resurrection? salvation, that, that we're turned from our wickedness, that we're changed from death to life, that we also get to experience uh, resurrection. We also get to experience this. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, if he didn't defeat death, then the salvation he offers is just temporary. It's just a band-aid, right? He, he didn't say, yeah, so I'm going to make some good things for you, and then you're, uh, you're going to die, and I, I actually don't know what's going to happen after that. No, he says, I do know what happens after that because I've done it, and, I, and I've won it. And, and so we get to experience this because Jesus has experienced this. Peter says, God raised Jesus from the dead. This life and, and the life to come is about Jesus. And then Peter does this and drops the mic. That's it. So listen, you, you and I need to hear very clearly, just like the people gathered around Peter needed to hear that this life is not all about the, the things surrounding this life. That this life is all about Jesus because, because all of eternity is about Jesus. We're in it now. That, that all of eternity will be about Jesus. Our response in that is faith and repentance, which leads to times of refreshing, which leads to relief from sin and, and death. Or, that, that, that's our response, or our response is faith in ourselves and not turning from anything, which leads to destruction and separation from God. So here's my question. We're, we're done. Where does that hit you this morning? Where does that hit you this morning? What, what's your response to the fact that all of life is about Jesus? What's your response? I think for us, we, we, we've got to spend some time, I've got to spend some time confessing, confessing that, 
that, that I've made uh, so much of this life more about me, more about, more about things, more about stuff, more about the worries of this life. I think we spend some time confessing in that direction. Maybe for some of you, you spend some time this morning confessing that you've never even thought about the idea of turning from sin and turning to Jesus in faith. Never thought about that. Maybe you spend some time, even this morning, confessing that to God, that, I, yeah, I need a Savior, and that Savior's not me. And, and I know that very clearly now. This morning, we get a, a beautiful, beautiful picture of the truth of the gospel being applied. So we get to experience it in pictures. I love pictures. I, I love the, the visuals that, that, that we get to have as Christians. And so we're going to have some pictures of what that looks like through, through the ordinances that we practice, through communion, through baptism in the second service. You guys are missing out. Thought you were getting up early, for, but we're doing baptisms in the second service. Stick around. It'll be good. We'll do the same thing again, but we'll do ba- a baptism in the second service. So we get to see the picture of what this looks like for us, that we get to celebrate the, the meal that has been set for us. We get to celebrate new life in Christ through, through baptism pictures for us of what the the gospel is applied to us so this morning we we gather around these tables we'll do that here in a bit tables that jesus set for his friends peter and john were there set for them where where he broke bread what's the picture he says this is my body marred beyond recognition pierced for your transgressions broken for you And he takes a cup of wine. He says, this is my blood shed for you. Blood applied to you. I am the atonement lamb for you. So we get to see these pictures in in, in this meal where Jesus says, take this and eat it and drink it and do this in remembrance of me. And so as we gather around these tables, we get to celebrate that that has been applied to us. If you haven't been with us this morning, the way we do this practically, we're going to be singing some songs together here in in a bit. And as we sing the songs together, you can spend some time right where you are confessing. Confessing some of the things that we've just talked through, that you haven't made Jesus your Lord. But, But as we sing, we get to come down these aisles, take the bread, dip it in the wine. We get to see that this is the body of Christ for us, a picture of Christ's body being broken. This is the blood of Christ for us, a picture of Christ's blood being shed for us. It's a picture of grace applied to us. And then head back to your seats and we'll sing together. And and like I said, in the second service, we'll do a baptism. We've got a video here that we'll show you of the gal who's being baptized, Tiffany, how how Jesus has changed her life, has saved her. It's a beautiful picture of death to life. So we'll we'll get to see that that first and then celebrate communion together as as a family and sing rejoicing in our King. So that's how how we're going to end this morning. This is all about Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about this church. It's about Jesus. So let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning knowing that you are God, knowing that you had a plan, a plan, a a plan in place uh, to redeem a people to yourself, a plan in place to save a people from separation from you forever. You had a plan in place, and that plan included your holy and righteous Son who stood in our place, took on our sin, traded in for a murderer, traded in for someone like me, someone like my friends here this morning. 
stood in our place, took on our death, the holy and righteous one, the author of life, the healer, the redeemer, your servant, stood in our place so that we could be in relationship with you forever. And so this morning, our prayer to you is that we would respond in the ways that we see here, even in Peter's sermon, that we would respond in faith, faith that you give. And so God, even, even now we ask that in the places where we doubt, that you would give us more faith. In the places where we doubt your goodness, give us more faith. In the places where we doubt that you're the Savior, that Jesus is our Savior, give us more faith. For those in this room this morning, right now, who do not claim Jesus as their Savior, God, would you give them the faith that that it takes to turn to you, that comes from you? That Jesus is their Savior. Would you give them the hope and and the faith that that is true? Would you also help us to respond in repentance and turning from our sin? Yeah, we, we sit here this morning knowing that there are ways where we have actively pursued sinful choices that have gone against your ways. We, we know that. So even this morning, we confess those things to you as sin and we plead with you, God, help us to turn. Our sin is too strong for us to conquer it on our own. We desperately need your help. And so help us, God, to turn. Help us to turn from our sin. And God, now as we we get to see these beautiful pictures of the gospel being applied, God, would, would that rouse in us affections for you so that we would see more and more of Jesus, the famous one, the holy and righteous one, the one who is king forever and ever, Rouse in us affections for you, we pray. Amen.